Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. What's up, Lance? How's it going? Going great today. Kind of a dreary day here in Wormtown. A dreary day outside, but you know what? Full of sunshine here inside the black box and things just really couldn't be better. Well, we had a really fun live show last week, Lance, and uh, we did it live on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the Twitter camera angle didn't exactly I just want to apologize for that one. <laughs> didn't exactly come out the way uh, we expected or anticipated, but I guess you really don't know what you're dealing with until you go live. And wh- by the time we went live, it's like, well, now, now this would take some setup, but we're already live, so let's just leave it. Just know next <laughs> time we'll we'll be ready for that. It is something that we want to do more. We might be doing one of these a month. I think that's the goal. We call it a vault, and, and it would be called a live Crawl Space Vault episode uh, like this one, Lance. And so, again, we do it live on Twitter and on Facebook. You can interact. We were even prepared to take phone calls this time. It didn't happen other than from our good friend Chloe, who works with us on the show. Um, other than from her, we, we didn't get any phone calls from the public. I just think they weren't ready for it. Yeah, I think we. I think it, yeah. it hadn't been done before, and I think people were kind of wrapping their heads around it and saying, well, how is that going to work? Well, how it works is DM us, you know, direct message us on Twitter and give us your phone number or the phone number that you'd feel most comfortable us calling, and we will do that, and then you're live. And yeah. then you can chat with us for a few minutes. Uh, we're not that intimidating. Actually, we're not intimidating at all. You'll probably be more intimidating to, to us. <laughs> we did bounce around quite a bit in topics uh, during this episode, though. We we bounced around from uh, things that we just did on Crawl Space, things we just did on Missing Maura Murray, things that are upcoming on Crawl Space. And we also talked a little bit about Samuel Little, Lance, this uh, serial killer who has confessed to 90 murders and so uh, near the end of this live show, that is when we get into that a little bit. And it, it's pretty it's a pretty incredible story that is really kind of still just at the beginning, it feels. And it keeps like chipping away at the actual truth of his story. It starts with uh, 34, I think they confirmed it. He's claimed to 90 murders and the FBI has confirmed 34 of them. And if even a fraction of the remainder is true, he will be probably the most prolific serial killer in history. And the one thing I want to make sure people don't lose sight of is the type of person that he sought out and killed. And those were sex workers. They were underprivileged, usually women of color. And there's a giant number of unidentified women of color that are in databases. And this man could be responsible for a chunk of those uh, that number. Uh, And it's just it's something that we all should be aware of. You and I do Missing More Murray and we talk about Brianna Maitland. And those are those are people tend to look at the, the the white women, and this is a huge reminder of what is really going on out there. Also, check out the FBI's site because they are asking for the public's help in identifying more of his victims or at least confirming his stories because he claims there's about 60 other victims that are currently unnamed. And uh, they, F- the FBI, as you said, Lance, have been able to confirm 34. So that means that there are probably more that are going to be confirmed. Also, we, as I said, we talked to Chloe a little bit on the phone here, and uh, we talked to her about our latest episode, the last episode, which is called Brianna Maitland, Fact or Speculation, that Lou Barry, our uh, friend and uh, private investigator, former law enforcement... Breakfast aficionado. ...was on with us, and uh, Chloe as well. But Chloe has launched a new blog, Lance, and we just wanted to give it some, uh, some love here in the intro 
Go to Chloe from crawlspace.blogspot.com, and she is updating it weekly about the Brianna Maitland case. Exclusively about Brianna Maitland, and she has access to people who are sort of hesitant in talking about the case, and Chloe has established a real relationship with these people, and it's not a relationship just to get a scoop, you know? She's developed something that is a real relationship and they, they trust her and they trust her enough. So they provide her with information. They know what she's going to do with that information is going to be responsible. And they're aware of this blog. Okay. So check us out on Twitter at crawlspace pod. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at crawlspace podcast and follow our social medias because we will be doing more live vault episodes where you can interact with us live. Thank you very much for listening. And follow Chloe on Twitter. Before we get started, though, on Bree stuff, we wanted to just kind of give a quick update on some of the other stuff that we're working on right now. Uh, we released episode one of season two of empty frames oh yeah uh last week so that's pretty fun and empty frames of course is about art crime and uh, season one was all about the isabella stewart gardner museum heist a heist that took place in 1990 in a very popular museum in boston massachusetts right the isabella stewart gardner museum it is the most uh, audacious heist in American history. It is arguably the most valuable heist in history. And uh, we covered that in season one. We had an abrupt end to it due to unforeseen or maybe kind of foreseen circumstances. And uh, the bridge season here, season two, is covering significant moments in art, other art crimes, and uh, the, the culture of art, the world of art. And the first episode we had was such a great launching point for that. Yeah, yeah and I, I I really think this topic is is pretty interesting and I and I love it it's obviously obviously true crime but it's art related too and so there are a lot of people out there who are really interested in art crime it, it's its own little genre, if you will. Right. We're not just talking about heists. We're talking about art forgery, too. Yeah. So in the first episode, we had on these guys from an antique shop called Manzanita Ridge uh, Furniture and Antiques in Silver City, New Mexico, and they bought an estate that happened to have, happened to include a very famous stolen painting. Right. Uh, Willem de Kooning, uh, Willem de Kooning's Woman Ochre, and it is uh, David Van Ocker, Buck Burns, and Rick... Something or other. Yeah, well, Rick wasn't there, so we talked yeah. to David and Buck, and... They they bid on the house. They bid two thousand dollars on the estate, and they ended up with this de Kooning that ended uh, up being an original stolen. This unassuming couple, Jerry and Rita Alter, had taken it uh, the day before Thanksgiving in nineteen eighty five. Yeah. So and... we released the entire first episode on the Crawl Space feed. So it's a really interesting story because these guys just wanted to give the painting back. So I think that's that's kind of fascinating because it wasn't they didn't want as, any money. Right. And it wasn't that easy to do. Right. They needed to be vetted by the FBI, unknowing to them right. that they were being vetted, that they weren't uh, being they weren't a part of the scam to extort money from the museum or from anybody else. Yeah. So they didn't even know this. They were just sitting there wondering, like, why the hell is it so hard to give this thing back? So it's a stolen art uh, recovery story uh, in episode one. 
And uh, in a future episode, we're going to talk about the Banksy stunt that he pulled just a month or so ago where he sold one of his very famous paintings, not the original, The Girl with the Balloon. But he sold it, I think, for $1.4 million. And then upon gavel going down at Sotheby's, uh, the painting shredded. Actually, I should say the frame of the painting shredded. It shredded the painting. So Banksy, actually, the the famous uh, anonymous artist, built in a shredder to his own frame to shred this uh, painting that he just sold and made $1.4 million on. You say, why would, would the people be mad at him? Is that even a lead? How do you do that? The, the What's so weird about it is the painting's worth more money now. Right. And I don't know if that's actually weird now because we had this great conversation with the reporter Aja Romano. She wrote a great article on uh, for Vox that described what happened and she gets into it a little bit in her article, but we really get into the whole uh, mindset and of the art community and how that how it even matters if if a painting shredded or not, and how the value of it actually increased, and why Banksy did it in the first place. So it starts in one place, it ends in another place, and and our brains are all over the map with it. But it's a really fun conversation. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. Yeah, let's get into some Brianna Maitland uh, talk. We have Chloe on. The phone um, waiting here on mute very patiently. Uh, let's take Chloe off mute. How are you, Chloe? I am great. How are you? Doing great over here. So before we get into it, let, let's just read an email that we got from Duncan. He says, hi, guys, big fan of your stuff. Been following the Moramari podcast and just started the Brianna case. Just a quick question. I'm wondering if I've missed something as the first episode uh seems to be the timeline of the story has been explained but he only knows the basics of the story was just really lost and could use a rundown of what actually happened to Bree as the episode uh, seems to assume the listener already knows a fair amount which I think is a good point we do kind of jump in with both feet on that first episode about Bree the first episode yes well I think I think that's because at the time we maybe assumed that a lot of the listeners of Crawl Space had heard the two episodes sure. we did on the Missing Maura Murray feed uh, called Missing Brianna Maitland. But we did kind of recap those in that first episode. So, yeah, but but it, it is a tough story to kind of jump right into. And I feel like we have this problem every time we approach an episode with it. I, I like the way he ended this, though, that it's not a criticism. He's a fan and he just wanted to ask, which is a really nice way to, to ask. It's yeah. a really nice way to say, hey, did I miss something? So this is our answer. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, his name's Sean, not Duncan. His email is a little confusing, but uh, he is from <laughs> Glasgow, Scotland. So hi, how you doing, uh, Sean? Thank you for supporting the show. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, Chloe, is there anything you want to say about about like setting up these episodes of Brianna Maitland? Because uh, we've talked about this a lot, and I think I actually kind of forgot to include an intro that we recorded um, that kind of tries to explain a little bit. But it's just hard to really do a lot of explanation before you jump into one of these episodes. It's a very complicated story, and I remember back when the show started, that was actually a popular comment that I would get, not just like on YouTube, but when I would introduce the show to friends and family, they would just, one of the first things they would say is, you know, I'm kind of confused by the story. And I said, oh, well, you know, we have the intro episodes on the Missing Maura Murray feed, but I think it's just, it's really hard to wrap your head around it, especially if you're not usually a true crime listener. So we did record an intro to 
put in front of each episode. And I'm not sure if that helped a little bit, but the episode that we just put on the feed yesterday with Lou Berry is actually a great place to kind of start if you're feeling a little bit lost and you need to get back to basics. Right. I would also recommend checking out the True Crime Garage episodes they did on it because they kind of cover it uh, as it's known and they can kind of go through the points. But then we'll we'll hit hit you with this Lou episode that is information that has never been heard before. And it, it is intended to clear up what is fact and what is speculation. And we actually have a clip from the episode that we're going to play right here. True or false, Brianna's ex-boyfriend drove past Brianna's abandoned car at 4 a.m. on his way home from Canada. Partially true. <laughs> uh, he drove, he drove, he saw the car. He stopped the vehicle. Uh, it wasn't at 4. It was earlier than that. He stopped his vehicle. Yeah. Okay. And um, apparently shut the lights off, shut the door, and then continued home. The reason he... That initial story came out as he he was involved in some activity that he didn't want everyone to the police particularly to be aware of, and so he basically gave them the wrong time. He was not in Canada, um, which I should have been easy enough to check because they keep track of who comes across the border. If in fact the border was open then, I don't know what the status of the crossing was back then, whether they manned it twenty four seven or not. If they had, then they would have record of him coming back and what time it was and everything. But as far as he told me, he was not in Canada. So is that something that uh, the current law enforcement proved wrong, like to- like looked into, told him, look, you weren't there, and give us another example? Or he just he told you separately? I don't know what he's told law enforcement. I know he's told them different things at different times. They're aware of what he told me, and I believe he's been cleared as a suspect. But he did contaminate the crime scene unknowingly by being there and he shut the door so the door was open and the lights were on that's what he told us yeah he shut the doors shut the lights off okay so that was a clip from uh yesterday's episode of crawl space where we talk about brianna maitland's disappearance with lou barry and specifically in that clip he was talking about brianna's ex-boyfriend james who drove by brianna's car that night after she was uh, not there i guess drove by her empty car her empty car yes yeah, doors open lights on and he went over and he closed the doors, both doors, apparently. That's what he told police, but he told them after his original account of uh, 4 a.m. and he was coming back from Canada, which was not the case. Right. He was doing uh, some some things he did not want some to el- tell the police about. Illicit behavior. Yeah. And uh, and so, because a lot of people think he he's a, a good suspect, and when they hear that, which is pretty new, I think, uh, new to Lou information, that he was there earlier and actually shut the doors. Did he turn the lights off, too? I, I believe that's what Lou said, that he okay. shut the doors and turned the lights off. Yeah. Uh, Chloe, wh- what do you think about this uh, clip? Uh, before you talk, Chloe, Jason yes. just wants to say hi. He says, tell Chloe I said, hey, sis. Oh, and there's my uh, my grandma, too. Oh, hey. Sandy hey, Polari, hi. Hey, grandma. Yeah. That's... Hey, bro. Hey, grandma. So what do you the think about this? family's all here. Family's yeah. all here. So about James, so that was something that Lou told us about early on when we first met him because James actually changed his story during his interview with Lou. I think Lou and his former partner, when they first started back in 2016, they went up and they interviewed all of most of the people that we would like to talk to. And he felt James was really honest and had reason to believe that he was lying before, but he's being honest now. And his reason for lying about 
the time he was at the car was innocent. And you'll hear in the episode that Lou doesn't think James is involved at all. And he actually went as far as to say that he thinks he might have been cleared as a suspect. So I know that probably doesn't sit quite right with everyone without having all the information, but it's something to consider. Okay. And Chloe, you launched a blog recently that is uh, strictly about the Brianna Maitland case right now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your new blog? I would love to. So we've been doing this for a couple of years now, just you know, interviewing people. Not everything that we've done or worked on has been released through the podcast. A lot of things are done behind the scenes and a lot of things that you know we've uncovered and we've heard won't be released on the blog because of protecting the investigation. But there are a lot of things that we haven't had a chance to address on Crawl Space that can be on the blog. So I thought to start it to sort of supplement the show because Crawl Space, the whole point is that there's variety. We're talking about a whole bunch of different cases, a whole bunch of different phenomenons and whatnot. But some people are so devoted to Brianna, I feel like they almost wish there was a separate Brianna show like there is for Mora. And I'm in that community. You know, we have a discussion group on Facebook called Podcast Discussion Brianna Maitland's Disappearance on Facebook. Feel free to join it. There's about 200 people on it, and it's very calm, no drama, but critical thinking discussion. I think it's a great group if you are interested in the case. And there's a lot of questions and a desire for more information. And I have just pages and pages of notes on my computer so we thought this would be a good way to supplement the podcast. And with that information, I run everything by Blueberry just to make sure I'm not speculating. <laughs> That's the whole theme of the episode that was released yesterday, just making sure that we're not speculating. And I don't want to spread any misinformation out there. So everything that you will read, I will make sure it's proofread. <laughs> well done. And uh, you recently chatted with Keely. And one of your latest blog posts is is, is about uh, your conversation with Keeley. Yes. So now, uh, can you refresh our audience's memory on who Keeley is and how she comes into play in this mystery? Yes. So Keeley was 17 years old, same age as Brianna. They were close friends. They went to Ener's, Enosburg Falls High School together, and they were all kind of a clique. Like, same with Katie and Megan. They were all friends. So... Three weeks before Brianna went missing, Keely found out that Brianna had gone behind her back and she was angry and betrayed. It had to do with Keely's boyfriend. And Keely ended up assaulting Brianna, punching her twice in the face, and Brianna subsequently pressed charges. So people hear this. They hear that Brianna was violently victimized very shortly before she went missing. And people are looking for clues and connections. So this conversation is the first time Keely's really ever spoken at length and it's in a public way so people can read it there's new information that you probably haven't heard yet just with context and details she was familiar with people that are talked about in the case all the time and she gives some insight she was so open and honest with me and i know that it wasn't easy for her it's difficult for her to come onto our show i think she's struggling with it a little bit having to talk about people from her past and talk about this difficult subject but on a one-to-one -one conversation, she was more comfortable and um, gave me her blessing to write a little bit about it. Okay, great. 
Um, and uh, and she has some pretty pretty interesting things to say. Like, is there anything is there anything crazy like uh, that that the community needs to know? I mean, the whole situation is so crazy. Um, but I mean, like I said, we didn't know why the fight happened. It was always very vague. Is that really relevant to her disappearance? Only if you are suspecting that the fight is relevant in her disappearance. So it's kind of good to maybe put that to rest a little bit. So you're going to learn why the fight happened, Keeley's account of exactly how it went down. You will learn that Brianna and Keeley were on and off with the same men. And James, who we talk about, we just talked about him. He's the one that came by her car that night. He dated Keeley as well. So there was animosity there too on a whole other level. Um, But yeah, Keeley was close with these people. So you're just going to learn a lot, I think. I know I did. Okay, great. So check out your new blog. And you want to give the URL? Yes, it is Chloe, which is C-H-L-O-E, from crawlspace.blogspot.com. All right, excellent. Check it out. Thank you very much for joining us, Chloe. Uh, We really appreciate it. And keep Thanks up the good work. Me. Yes, and uh, more announcements uh, with Chloe coming soon. Uh, namely, a new podcast, a spinoff podcast with your your twin sister called True Crime Twins. Hopefully, be coming uh, sometime in December to uh, Crawl Space Media. Have it will have its own new feed. How do you feel about that, Chloe? We are so excited, uh, Tim. You just sent us the rough cut of episode one with the music and everything, and we were just psyched. It sounds great. Nice. Can you, I can't can, wait for everyone to hear. Can you give us a quick uh, synopsis of what you're covering in episode one? Sure. So we are diving into an unsolved murder that maybe you've heard about, maybe you haven't. It is the 2012 homicide of 19-year-old Faith Hedgepeth, a college student at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. There was a handwritten note left by the killer at the scene. There was DNA left behind in a rape kit. There was recordings of perhaps a conversation that was relevant to the killing that was made in a butt dial. There are so many clues. Well, it's it's awesome the way you and your sister go back and forth. You have the uh, you have the facts, and then you have some some color that's thrown in there with some you know some, uh, some analyzing analyzing and and theorizing. So and it's you, a really good listen. And you both have great backgrounds. You both have science backgrounds, actually. Uh, both you both have psych degrees, so you put that to good use. And Melina also knows a bit about anatomy, uh, so she is talks a bit about the autopsy report. Uh, that's like my favorite part of the episode because yeah, she can actually read <laughs> read an autopsy report. The language is pretty foreign if you don't have a background in anatomy and physiology. So the autopsy report in this case had information that wasn't released to the public because the autopsy is not public, but we were able to get our hands on it and sort of sh- share new information that way because of her ability to interpret it. Well, if that wasn't a tease, I don't know what is. So good work with that. <laughs> okay. And speaking of work, we don't want to keep you from, from your actual job any any longer. So yeah. uh, thank D- you so much. Don't get fired. Thank you very much. But and if you do get fired, you always have a full-time job here. <laughs> <laughs> True Crime Twins coming soon, probably right around the holidays, uh, episode one. So thank you, Chloe, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. I just want to point out that we have a special visitor who just uh, popped into the Facebook uh, yeah. live uh, feed here, John Juca. 
Yeah, well, it's Doreen. It's John's mom, yes. Doreen. Yes, uh, Quinn Giuliano. Uh, John Juca uh, actually has been wrongfully convicted and uh, sits in Rikers Island as we speak. And Doreen is a a champion for his cause, and we've had her on the show uh, a couple times now, and uh, we even spoke to John. Um, so yeah, we had actually, one of the things on this list was, a, was an update about where we stand and are we going to do another episode and we'd love Definitely. to. Yeah. Yeah. So actually one of the things we, we are planning on doing is reaching out to John's lawyer, Mark Bettero, to, uh, try to get him on the horn and, uh, record an episode with him. Another thing we want to do is get down to Rikers Island and see if we can, uh, meet John. Vis- visit John himself. Visit John yep. and, and, uh, record some audio and that would be, uh, excellent to, to bring to you to really see exactly well maybe not exactly but to get a better understanding of what john is going through living and conditions, conditions are. are yeah in the meantime though check out uh check out mother justice the episode that we did with doreen really shows her her struggle and um you know the 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 defeats and the triumphs that have gone on in the in the past 14 years yeah it's an incredible episode and I think it was from last May or from May of this year. So, yeah, Mother Justice. And there's two or three other ones um, on the John Juca case. So highly recommend checking that out. He's been convicted of murder, but he is wrongfully convicted. And it's pretty obvious um, when you when you start hearing about the story. It's head-shakingly obvious. It, it really is, yeah. So, uh, Lance, before we move on to another topic, do you want to give a little background on what we're doing with this Private Investigations for the Missing? Yes, Private Investigations for the Missing now has a moderate presence on social media, and it is an organization that has founded that has been founded by Bruce Maitland, Brianna Maitland's father, and it is to help people who have loved ones who have gone missing or cold cases that they need work on. And, you know, oftentimes the law enforcement doesn't have the resources to continue these cold cases. So they just stack up and private investigators are needed to come in to take over. And, of course, private investigators, while as much as they'd love to do it for free, they need some sort of compensation, at least to pay for their expenses and and anything that they would need to access um, legal documents, files, old articles, just any any sort of any sort of expense that would go towards finding an answer for these for these people looking for their loved ones a hot ba- uh, a hot uh, meal for the night like a like a hotel room occasionally if they're I think, doing some traveling i mean there's so of many course, expenses these, yeah the expense I, I think if we were to talk to someone like greg overacker right. he would just say pay for my gas and i'm good right. but yeah some you know people do need to have have a dinner at night they need to have some place to stay at night and they'll use the money as modestly as possible this is an official nonprofit profit uh, 501c organization it took months to organize the board members are uh, uh, you and I, before it starts to get to a more credible list of people, uh, Bruce Maitland, and then uh, a selection of other people who are former lawyers, former law enforcement, uh, pretty much every a- angle that is needed for something like this to make sure all all uh, avenues are taken care of. However, if you do have something you can bring to the table, please go to the website, privateinvestigationsforthemissing.org. Go to the website and just shoot us an email. If you have anything at all to offer, our our friend Michelle, who is a prosecutor in New York, brought a bunch of really cool uh, research abilities and strengths to the table that 
you and I don't have the time to do or the resources to do. So anything like that is super, super helpful. Yeah, and I also want to say that, I don't know if there's really been any confusion on this, but I just wanted to say that we are not the private investigators that are going to be hired for this. We are on the board. We are uh, media people on the board of this. So we're running the social media. We're trying to raise money for this GoFundMe. But we are not private investigators, and we are not the ones that are going to be hired to look into these cold cases. Right. It's private investigations for the missing, not private investigators. So yeah, yeah don't, don't think that you're giving us money to go out and buy new microphones to talk about someone that is missing. It is for private in- licensed private investigators to do their job to help families uh, and, and friends of loved ones who are dealing with a cold case. Yeah, any donations will go to expenses for that. I mean, these private investigators who donate their time pro bono you know, do not deserve to get punished, <laughs> do not deserve to see their bank account dwindle because they're looking into these cases and trying to help families. So instead of that happening, we're trying to at least keep it on an even keel where, you know, they don't they're not getting paid a lot at this point. You know, this is just right now expenses. I think the goal is for eventually maybe for some money to potentially pay for these investigations. But at this point, it's just expenses. At this point, the goal on GoFundMe and if you go to the website, you can you can link directly to the GoFundMe campaign. The goal is $10,000. That can change. That can exceed. But it's a it's a modest amount when you think about the number of people that are missing or the unidentified that are out there and the family and friends who want their loved one found and have some closure. When you think about those numbers, $10,000 is literally nothing. And yeah. if you have a private investigator who requires $1,000 to... to you know, drive somewhere, stay overnight and question some people that's going to produce something that's that's really, really uh, well spent money. Yeah, it definitely uh, is valuable. And I just want to say hi to some other people in the chat room. Our buddy Aurelia is in there. What's up? Kyle Palmer and Haley Barrickman. What's up, Haley? So how are you doing in there in the uh, Facebook chat room? And Elise, you forgot Elise effect right I there. I did. How are you doing, Elise? All right. Um, so we are going to play a clip right now from today's Missing Maura Murray. And we are talking to Deb Ash, one of the dog handlers who handles this cadaver dog, Eisen, that we were searching with last month. Now, yeah, at this point, I think we've heard some kind of conflicting reports on that, whether the foundation was in place or whether it was uh, under construction still when Mora went missing. Does that mean that there's no possibility or there is still a possibility that there is a body under the foundation? My dog had a change of behavior. I don't know whether it was the septic system or I don't know if it's because someone is there. If you already have the ground penetrating radar there and you have the opportunity to check it out, then yes, you should check it out and rule it out. Right. So there's there's some, you know, uh, speculation, people's imagination might run a little bit and say that it would make a lot of sense for a house that's under construction, even if that foundation was half poured or three quarters poured, or even if it was fully poured, maybe a body could then be placed there and then more poured over it. If we do have a significant change of behavior, what we do is we then get other dogs to run the same area and see if they have the same reaction. You're not basing this on just one dog. You're basing this on multiple dogs at multiple times a year. 
the area that Eisen had the slight change of behavior, it might be worth going back there maybe once the ground starts thawing out to do another search with other other dogs. Is that something that you would suggest or recommend? Yes. I mean you would need you it would be advisable to take take, you know, two other advanced cadaver dogs at two different times, not on the same day, and have them run. And the other thing is is if you have access to ground penetration um, to run that over. And at that point, if there's no interest and and or very, very, very slight interest like Eisen had, and there's nothing in the ground penetrating radar, then maybe it's time to move on. Maybe it is the leech field. Okay, so that was Deb, dog handler from episode 90 of Missing Maura Murray. And uh, Lance, do you want to give us a little more background on what we were talking about in that clip? Yeah, we were talking about the area of Rick Forcier's old house that is not so much it's not the backyard it's the side of the house and it looks as if when they were building the house they dug up some earth it went to one side of the house so there's a small mound right next to the foundation foundations here is a small mound and she she had taken eyes in all through the house all around the property and there was no hit nothing 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 her words that day where he was busy 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 and then when he got to this this area right next to the house he didn't have a hit he he just had a slight change of behavior, uh, a slight tail wag. There was something that was going on there. There was some scent that he was getting, but uh, it was not a hit on a cadaver. But she did say to get the GPR uh, equipment that we had right there, bring it over to that side and run run it over just to uh, just to just to do our due diligence. And we did, and it was uh, a little too rough. It was a little too uneven to get anything clear underneath the earth. Uh, but what was Uh, detected under there according to Graham was normal so what he could see in the even spots was normal Uh, then she goes on to say later on it can't hurt to take dogs back to any location where where you've had some sort of um, indication of of something okay so yeah so that is the plan now so I think I think we kind of left the search thinking uh you know there's likely nothing here and now all of a sudden we're like, okay, well we need to we need to do a little bit more on it to yeah. rule it out completely. There's no harm if you have the resources to to keep looking, mm-hmm. because as she said in that interview, and I just I love the the analogy of the perfume bottle in a room. If you open up a bottle of perfume and you spray it in a room and you shut the door, there's going to be some residual scent there at any given time. It's just over a matter of time it starts to dissipate a little bit more. Uh, the conditions when you're looking for a cadaver scent changes based on the weather. So we went there at the end of October. It was chilly. There's not a whole lot of humidity in the air. Which, what you want to do is go there, she said, at night and just have the still air. So if you have the conditions and you have the resources and you're able to do it, you might as well you might as well triple, quadruple, you know, as many checks as, as you're able to do. So pretty interesting. So check out Missing Maura Murray and that's episode ninety if you're interested in that and what we're doing over there. It's um a pretty unique project, I think. Yeah, and I also want to reiterate that even though some of these results come back, like the GPR, the first time we ran it, there's an anomaly. And we we distribute that information to the public, and then we run it again, and we, we actually dig, and we find that the anomaly isn't anything nefarious. It's actually...
actually a group of large rocks that's that's below the surface. Same thing with the dogs. I want to say that even though it appears that there's nothing there, that's not a defeat. That's not something that we should say we failed at. We actually succeeded at clearing something, which is more important than finding something that we're not sure about and we have to start speculating again. Right, but with that said, it did kind of feel like a defeat. So I, well, yeah. you kind of have to measure that. Like, it's not. I'm right. totally aware of that. But it did feel like it. It feels a bit deflating because yeah. you have everything assembled and you're, the, you organize something like this. And, and it almost feels like, well, I guess it wasn't worth it. But that's not the case at all. It yeah. just means you put the same energy into some other part of it. Okay, and uh, coming up on Crawl Space, we are going to have an interview with Lainey from True Crime Fan Club. That's coming in the next couple weeks. That's going to be a lot of fun. She's great to talk to. Also coming up soon on Crawl Space is a new William K. Dean episode, Lance. Big demand for for Dr. Dean. Justice for Dean. Yeah, we have had a lot of demand for uh, more episodes of the Dean murder that is now uh, 100 years old. Uh, Of course, William Dean was murdered very brutal in a very brutal way thrown into his rain cistern back in 1918 in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, Lance. Yeah, we're talking World War One spies, German spies, uh, intrigue. We have a doctor who was uh, was was described as a as the the Piccadilly faker back in in the UK. He he was he was ahead of his time. He saw images and bloodstains and. Uh, sort of tapped into the whole psychoanalysis of of criminal behavior. Really unique individual. But we also have this transcript that was written and we 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 follow that as a as a kind of script for the storytelling in this and we've enlisted the help of a very uh one of our friends and a very successful voice actor. Well-known voice, uh Gabra Zachman who read I'll be gone in the dark. And just thinking about the work she did on that, and congrats, she had some accolades come up recently. That book is the the book and her audio version of it have received incredible reviews. Uh, it's among the best of both of those versions uh, yeah, of you're the year. Michelle McNamara's book and Gabra's reading of the book, right? The audiobook version of "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," right? Both both uh, both have received accolades and are considered the best books written and read. And she's joining us uh, with some uh, reenactments from the transcript from one of the main suspect's wife during the grand jury testimony. So that'll be great. Hopefully that'll be coming later in December or potentially early in the new year. Lance, there's there's this new story that's out there that's been breaking over the past few days. And it's it's really wild. It's about a guy named Samuel Little. And he apparently has said that he killed 90 people. He has confessed to 90. Right. 90 people, most of them being uh, sex workers, most of them from the 70s and 80s. Yes, 9-0. Now, he's already in jail for three killings that he was convicted of, but he apparently wanted a prison transfer and has given information on an additional... 87 murders. So he claims that he's killed 90 people in a lot of different states. And so you're like, well, of course he's going to say that if he's he's going to get something out of it. He'll say whatever. But here's the thing. It's been proven that he's he's got connections to at least 34. 
Yeah, the FBI has actually proven and confirmed that at least 34 of the killings are connected to him. And if he's saying at least 90, you're talking a third have been confirmed. So is this, I mean, even at 34, you're talking about a prolific, prolific serial killer. Yeah, so so 34 is right now what we know that he was involved in, and presumably he, he committed these crimes alone, but it, it, it jumped from 3 to 34, and he claims there's about almost 60 more. Right, so him and the Golden State Killer are, without a doubt, one of the two of the greatest monsters of our, of our time, and we're living through these revelations of these serial killers that we never thought that we'd have. You know, he is seventy eight years old. These thing, these murders started in the in the seventies. A former boxer, he would typically strangle his victims. He always targeted underprivileged and uh, predominantly black women, and none of them were were followed up on because of their work as in in, in the, uh, uh, the industry sex of sex. Industry. Yeah, the sex industry. Uh-huh. So he he got away with this, killing women with his bare hands for going on almost half a century. And if you look at him, I know I'm all over the place right now, but if you look at these images of him and the video of him being transferred in his wheelchair he's just outside of what i'm guessing is an institution here he just looks like a grandpa i mean he looks very much uh like the golden state killer uh, you know he's in a wheelchair he, he just looks like a sad old guy looks like a sad old guy yeah and then you're told he's killed oh holy shit he's killed at least 34 people confirmed and now and insane then, and then he's saying that he's killed you know 60 something more and how anyone could even stomach being around him without spitting in his face is insane. This is from the FBI press release. It says, Little chose to kill marginalized and vulnerable women who were often involved in prostitution and addicted to drugs. Their bodies sometimes went unidentified and their deaths uninvestigated. Yeah, and he lived a transient life. He... I don't think they ever located a, a an address he lived at for more than a few months at a time. And he he just went state to state and and not only murdered women, but he also was in jail in 2012 for narcotics. Yeah, you say state to state. Now, there is an interactive map that is uh, has been released by the FBI, and I'm not sure how many states this has on it, but I think it's at least like 15 different states he's, he traveled to and he had confirmed kills in. Uh, he did stay out of the northern region so far. Based on the, the this interactive map, looks like the most north he got was northern, northeastern Ohio. But uh, he did kill up until 2005. So if you find any evidence of him being in New Hampshire, Vermont, God knows this guy could be related in ones that we're very close to. Like I texted you last night, I mean... In the 50-something years or the forty high 40s years, like 48 years or something, it's kind of hard to believe that he wouldn't have touched upon the, the Northeast or even the Northwest, for example. It's kind of tough to, to think that in 50 years he never went in, in those directions. So it wouldn't surprise me is what I'm saying if that came, came out that he there was evidence of him being in those areas that aren't on this map right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly seems like a creature of habit based on the map. Like he, he stuck to southern areas mostly in the east uh half of the country as far as the confirmed cases mostly florida mississippi uh there's some alabama look or arkansas down here tennessee um so and and there but but it goes west too to california um nevada arizona and new mexico 
I guess this is a call out there to to anyone who's listening because the FBI is asking for the public's help in identifying some more of his victims. And if you know of anything that could help, please contact the FBI. Check out this map. There'll be links to this in the show notes. There are unidentified uh, confessions, unmatched confessions here in South Carolina. I mean, I'm looking here at the site now. There's still a good amount that could use the public's help. And just keep in mind who these women are. These these have been these are women like the article say targeted marginalized women in in the sex industry. Keep in mind that these are still human beings. Keep in mind that no one hears about these women on a daily basis. There's thousands of unnamed unnamed women sitting in in state mortuaries that have no no name to go with their to go with their faces and someone like this can just prowl the the countryside and just take them away through no fault of their own yeah it's it's pretty unbelievable and uh kind of kind of uh hard to believe to be honest now uh there's this other story lance that that i noticed yesterday and it came from switzerland and it's not exactly a crime that we know of at this point but uh it, it's uh but it's stressful. It is really stressful. There's a video out there for, and an article from the Washington Post. It's, it's about a man who is uh, supposed to be hang gliding with uh, the hang gliding instructor, and he isn't actually clipped on like the hang gliding pilot is. So the video is is a terrifying about two and a half minutes, anxiety-inducing video to watch because you watch a hang gliding guy. He's like, all right, let's go. One, two, three, we're ready, and we run. And they run, and they kind of jump off a cliff, and you can see that they're pretty high up there already. But his guy, the guy who paid to do that, was not actually hooked up, Lance. And it's kind of hard to tell when they figure that out, but you see the pilot of the hang glider looking down at him, and you can almost see the moment where he, he they recognize that this guy isn't connected. And what's really kind of terrifying, other than everything about this, is that it's in the back. Yeah. They might not have even seen that. It was probably just a chance that they saw that he was not connected to this, but the entirety of this uh, two and a half or almost three minute video, the entirety of it is anxiety inducing. Yeah. You, have you ever had like a nightmare or a dream or just a scenario where you're where you just consider, you know, can't how long can I hang on to something with one hand bef- and, I, and I know if it slips, I'll die. Like, have you ever thought about the like? Yeah, I mean, I've thought of that. I don't right. think I don't think I've ever had that. No, uh, I mean, it's experience. never happened. To yeah, you, yeah, obviously. But it happened to this guy. And he ripped his bicep. He was hanging on for so long and so tightly. Yeah, so he tore his left bicep um, because he was hanging on. And you can kind of see it at the end of the video. If you watch all the way to the end, you can kind of see his arm they hanging there. slow motion there. it down. Yeah, it kind of seems unnatural, like the way, the way it's stretched a little bit. It turns out he tore his left bicep. He also broke his wrist upon impact, but he was quoted as saying it's better than the alternative. Right, the alternative being smashed. Which would have been, yeah, letting go and dying Yeah, in the so, woods of Switzerland. I don't know if he said his name, Chris Gursky. I did not say his name, yeah. So if Chris Gursky's listening or if anybody knows him, have him call us up. We'd love to have him on the show <laughs> because it, it, it does end in a, in a positive manner. He doesn't die. He doesn't die, but uh, you, you if you watch the video... You you're going to think he will. Uh, but uh, now, one at the very end of the article, it, it says that Swiss authorities are investigating the matter. And uh, I 
don't think that the instructor intended to uh, kill Chris Gursky oh, or God. or give him this harrowing tale, but uh, but there's something something's not right there. I mean, there it's, needs to it be some more like safety a, measures. Yeah, like double checking. Yeah, maybe just double checking. Maybe triple checking. Maybe triple check that yeah. your uh, you know your guest is properly secured in. Uh, it's there's some terrifying moments where he's just grasping onto the guy's leg for God's sake. I mean, it's so it yeah, it's giving me anxiety just thinking. About I know it. the pilot gives his his own leg to to Chris Gursky's like like it kind of looks like he's gonna try to kick him off, but it, you can tell that he's giving him his leg to hang on to if you can't hang on to the bar it's anymore. Yeah, it's a really wild watch. Highly recommend it. Despite the fact that it probably could have been solved with the pilot just double checking, the pilot does a really good job keeping cool and landing yeah yeah i mean it, it takes a little while you're like well why don't they land earlier than two and a half minutes but, because the wind's taking them yeah like, well you can see how windy it is up there but you can also see they're above the treetops and if you look close you can see roads and houses down there but they look really tiny they're way high up in the air lance oh and i and we do have some more comments here oh fun uh so doreen asked how do we donate to private investigations uh for the missing the gofundme so we will have a gofundme a link to the gofundme page and the website here in the show notes of this episode. Jesper, how's it going, Jesper? He checks in. He says, great episode today. Loved it. He says, uh, the Empty Frames episode is great, too. And why is Tim dressed like a Christmas tree? Because Tim is just in the holiday spirit <laughs> the second Halloween ends. <laughs> there are Christmas lights in the studio that, that have been here all year. Uh, and it was my doing. Uh, it, it land if if Lance has druthers, it probably wouldn't be here. No, there would be gargoyles <laughs> and dark shadows everywhere. <laughs> but uh, I dig the lights, and I, I told him I was going to bring some flair today. So uh, it, it's my necklace. It's my uh, Christmas light necklace. Next time we do this, it'll be let's do this on um, President's Day, and I'll wear <laughs> my Abe Lincoln hat. <laughs> I will say that I bought these uh, this light necklace thing at a CVS. And uh, I was like, I was like standing in line, and there was a display, and I was like, I can't, I can't just stand here in line and not, not buy this. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, why it's called impulse buying. You're, <laughs> you're the person that they're like, Tim will buy this. Yeah. Well, the I went back to that same CVS like the next week, and there was maybe only one other one that had been purchased. <laughs> <laughs> and you're disappointed it wasn't from me. <laughs> yeah. Hello from Sweden. How low? How oh, are you? Oh, my motherland. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Elise says such a stressful video to watch. Isn't it? Really is. It's it's incredible. Jordan Bonaparte in the Facebook Live. How are you, Jordan? From the uh, fine country of Canada. Our neighbors to the north. Neighbors to the north. Recently made marijuana legal up there, so Jordan is just so high right now as he's watching us on Facebook. Probably doesn't even know what he's looking at. He's <laughs> like, are those Christmas lights around Nick's <laughs> neck? Am I, am, I, <laughs> neck? <laughs> am I hallucinating or are those actually Christmas lights? <laughs> Uh, they are Christmas lights, Jordan, and we will be joined by Jordan Bonaparte uh, soon. On I thought upcoming... you were going to say right now. I no, thought he was calling you. I wish. I wish. We are running out great. of time for this episode, so we're gonna, we are going to have to end this uh, uh, this very fun Twitter Live and Facebook Live here, but this episode will be coming to the podcast stream uh, feed very soon. So uh, thank you, everybody, for checking in. Thanks a lot for spending your lunch with us. Hope you had a good one. And, um, yeah, we'll see you soon on this live version uh, very, very, very soon down the road. And we will be keeping up with the Samuel Little uh, news. So maybe we'll be uh, doing some stories on that guy. I mean, I'm sure the, the, the whole story has just gotten started, really, with this uh, Samuel Little 
serial killer. And uh, we will be uh, hearing more about that story, I'm sure. So check out the Brianna Maitland episode on the Crawl Space feed. Subscribe to Missing Maura Murray. Check out episode 90. Subscribe to Empty Frames. Empty Frames on Stitcher. You got to do it on Stitcher, though. Season 1 is completely available on Stitcher. Season 1 is only only one episode of Season 1 is available on Apple Podcasts for Empty Frames. So you got to subscribe on Stitcher. Exactly. And feel free to head on over to Private Investigations for the org and give to the GoFundMe yeah. to provide some expense uh, relief for private investigators who are looking into cold cases for families. It's a good nonprofit started by Bruce Maitland, Brianna's father. Yeah. And one last thing right before we go, we just wanted to mention that we are doing another thing for Stitcher uh, Premium, which is going to be pretty pretty cool. We've only recorded a couple so far, but it's actually creator's commentary for the old episodes of Missing Maura Murray. So we listened to the first two episodes, Lance, and we kind of talk over it like uh, almost exactly like a director's commentary. Much like you'd see in the DVD extras of, uh, of a movie where the director and some of the other filmmakers talk about certain scenes. So we listen to the first, we listened to all the episodes. They're going to be delivered in batches of 10 and you're going to get them about mid month. And it's going to be a fascinating peek inside of how we feel now listening to what we were saying back then and there's a whole lot of if I only knew then what I know now moments yeah um, and a little bit of sweat <laughs> a lot a lot of bit of sweat so yeah check that out subscribe on Stitcher Premium and last word that was my last word crawl space last word crawl space worm down Thank you.